Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. I'm really excited to have with me Curtis Weber. Uh, we've uh, met a little while back. I'm, I'm going to say it's probably about a year, year and a half ago, well before COVID hit. Uh, so, Curtis, great to have you on the show. Really happy to dear, hear the sound of your voice again. You bet, Eric. Thanks. Uh, good, good chatting with you again here over the last little bit, setting this up. And, and thanks again for having me on the podcast. So, Curtis, I, I, you speak to a lot of different audiences. That's that's how we originally met. Uh, you were talking to a leadership team in terms of the importance of safety leadership. Can you share a little bit about your back your background and how you ended up in the safety space? And, and I know there's there's an unfortunate incident that happened. So maybe if you can share a little bit about uh, uh, the injury, the and really more importantly, how you got to what you're doing now in terms of really helping a lot of organizations and leaders embrace safety to take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, before I usually get into the uh, the events of the incident, I always kind of share with my groups a, a bit of a background, especially when we're talking about safety and trying to make mm. uh, impacts and, and have people uh, buy into messaging. I always kind of share a, a bit of a backstory of where I was going with my injury before I was uh, actually 17 when the incident happened. Uh, just graduated, had an opportunity to to move away from home and and live out a dream of of uh, playing hockey at the next level in Alberta, some junior hockey. And, and unfortunately, that wasn't going to be the case for me because uh, on the third day uh, of what I call my first ever real job, working outside of a family business building steel grain bins out on the prairies of Saskatchewan, uh, I had an incident. And and I think that's uh, an important note when when I speak to. Uh, the incident being that I was 17 years old, but also being that I was in the third day of my job, we were attempting to uh, to make a move, make a lift with a, a hopper bottom, a big steel structure. We're, we're trying to uh, put it underneath an overhead power line. And, and after a brief discussion and a day that went completely sideways for us, it was a day that we were supposed to be done early on the Friday of a long weekend. Right. Our first, our, our first job didn't go the way we had planned it. So we found ourselves kind of uh behind and in rushing to get the job done so we could you know get done before that long weekend and, and in doing so we didn't uh didn't have the proper uh discussions or conversations and and uh myself included didn't take the opportunity to speak up and, and voice a concern and uh as we were attempting to to make a move with uh with that picker truck and, and back that hopper bottom underneath the power line we we contacted an overhead power line which wow. uh yeah, sent through fourteen thousand four hundred volts of electricity through through my body in, in three three separate cycles. My goodness, uh, and I, th- I think one of the pieces. I mean, you had such a uh, promising hockey career ahead of you. Um, the part that uh, I remember when we first met is really your positive outlook and and what you decide to come out of it. Can you share maybe a little bit about um, how you started helping organizations? Kind of what what triggered that that's that thinking 
Yeah, you know, I, I never really uh, thought of, of a safety role or a motivational speaker role, not as much as, as my uh, as my mother would have told me when I was, you know, going through my recovery. And, and after the recovery, she always said I should, you know, I've got a great story and, and an inspirational story with the way that I dealt with things. But right. um, I, I guess going into this role, I, I, it was really just kind of, you know, fell into my lap. I, I uh, you know, after the, the, the long recovery and, uh, and the surgeries and amputations and and uh, you know, years of, of physiotherapy, it, it came time to, to figure out what I was going to do with my life after that nearly six years worth of, uh, of recovery time when you, when you take into account the reconstructive and plastic surgeries and, and physiotherapy and stuff. So um, it was a pretty long journey and, and I uh, was looking to get into a, you know, a, a background in, in wildlife management that was kind of a passion of mine as well, outdoors and, and, and things like that. And, uh, I was approached by the Workers' Compensation Board of Saskatchewan, so their their work safety mm-hmm. um, department, to uh, that they were looking for somebody who has been through a traumatic experience that's that's uh, physically and mentally willing and able to to, to share an experience. And uh, for for a long while, I, I um, it was kind of a thanks but no thanks. It was I was petrified of speaking in front of crowds. Uh, I wasn't a real you know safety. Uh, safety guy being 17 when it happened or anything like that. But I think as the years went on um, and they kept kind of, you know, uh, coming back and saying, hey, are you ready to come and, and uh, you know, do some work with us? I, I think maybe you could call it maturity kicked in or the realization that my experience and what I had been through and, and how I, I dealt with it so so easily almost um, started to, you know, creep into my mind to think maybe there's a reason why this whole thing happened and, and an even bigger reason why, I was able to handle it the way that I did, and and so finally I uh, I answered the answer the call, and and uh, yeah, I had a had a great uh, almost ten years with WCB and WorkSafe, and uh, sharing my story, and they also kind of turned me into a bit of a safety consultant and trainer, so I was able to get a, a good good amount of experience and background in, in safety as well. Sure, and, and I think one of the things you touched on in your story, uh, and you talk about is. The importance of speaking up. Um, can you can you share a little bit about obviously in your story? There's always usually this gut feel that w- when something happens. Can you share a little bit about uh, the importance of speaking up, but also the role of leaders that, that how they make that happen? Yeah, for sure. I, I think you know speaking up when, when we talk about that in a workplace, it's 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 so important. It's it's likely mm-hmm. one of the biggest uh, opportunities that we have to prevent incidents from happening. Actually. Uh, we can have the best safety system in, in the world with all the policy and procedure and hazard assessments and documentation and you know our, yep. our, our, fa- our fancy posters around the workplace but at the end <laughs> of the day if, if we're not uh, if we're not speaking up and voicing concerns or asking questions when we have them um, you know those incidents are are inevitable and, and for us that right. day may, might not have been just as easy as you know uh, speaking up and voicing the concern there was a lot that went into the day for us like I mentioned being rushing and, and behind and, and the way that the day's events unfolded, I think that those that, that condition of, of a hopper bottom being there and, and needing to be underneath that power line, that set of conditions was waiting for a group of people like us to come along to set up and uh, it was it was waiting for a group of people that were rushing and frustrated and behind mm-hmm. um, and, and that's what happened. So, uh, and when we talk about leaders, uh, you know, Lots of times when we think leadership and, and safety and, and culture, we, we normally think of a manager or a supervisor or a director or a VP or something like that. Right. And and uh, no doubt we need their leadership and, and commitments towards developing that culture. But uh, at the end of the day, we, we sometimes forget that we can and, and, and probably already do have leaders who are working shoulder to shoulder with us on site. And 
Yeah. Uh, as much as as much as that management has a role in developing that culture, uh, I feel it really comes down to the people that, that that we're working with. Because obviously, not very often do we find uh, that that director or manager or VP working shoulder to shoulder with us. It's it's usually sure. um, it's it's us working together. And you, you you speak to any senior leadership group of an organization who's uh, who's got a very successful safety record or culture, they'll they'll be the first ones to tell you that. It's really because of the people and and uh, how their how their programs are employee driven when it comes down to safety. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I, it's the same. It's it's got to be that conversation with everything. The set of circumstances you talk about just before a long weekend, your your work's falling behind. There's that sense of, of production pressure, and often when I speak to the theme of production pressure, people are expecting this person like lashing out at people go faster but it's, in many cases it's subtle it's i set out and this is the goal i set for myself for this day and i'm falling behind um and and you're trying to find a way to get it done and that's often where a step gets missed right right for sure so the the other piece that, that strikes me about your story is this was your third day on the job and um it's it's really uh, even more critical based on what you're sharing to really think through how do you drive the onboarding how, how do you get people to to, to 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 encourage speaking up how do you make that apparent in terms of what's the safety culture here on the third day uh, when i speak to a lot of people in the construction space the challenge is sometimes everybody's coming on their uh, it's their first day second day or third day because often they're coming in for a job that only lasts a short period of time then they go to a different job site how do you instill that or based on your experience, how could it have been done differently so that as you showed up that early on in your in your in your career, somebody would have talked about the importance of speaking up and, and taking your time, assessing hazards, things of that nature? Yeah, no, that's right. Um, being my third day on the job, I, I went from working in a family business. My dad had a family business building these these grain bins. And so obviously, once my brothers and I were old enough to help out that's what we did and by the you know from the time we were five years old you know he, he'd be dragging us on site and, and our jobs were <laughs> pretty minimal picking up garbage off the site running guys tools or just being around and so i always mention when i speak to to, to different groups is that you know my injury and uh happened in an industry that i was literally raised in uh, i was nearly killed yeah. in in the same industry that i was raised in, in doing but the difference was is that I went from working in that family business and just the year before I'm, I'm about to move away from home to play hockey was the first year dad's business was kind of falling apart. So I actually got onto a, a crew with a, uh, a brand new crew, which was completely different to me. So rather than just kind of kicking around at home that last summer, waiting to go to, to, uh, to move away from home, it was an opportunity to kind of keep myself in shape with a pretty physically demanding job. And, and so I went from working with a, a group of people that were very familiar to me, my, my brothers and, and a family friend and, and a father. So being that I, I went from that at, at such a young age and jumped into a, a crew of complete strangers who were twice my age, it's already probably a probably intimidating environment for a 17 year old kid to, to start that process. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and working with people that have been working together. And, and uh, so I think that when, when we talk about the onboarding process, like you mentioned with construction, there's a lot of moving parts and, and lots of temporary jobs and, and things like that. But an orientation I, I find is a really great opportunity um, if we use it properly in an orientation. I don't mean, you know, an organization, you know, having us go through an orientation and here's what we expect of you and here's how we do things and here's how, you know, um, you know, what our expectations are, but a good orientation 
would also have built into it the opportunity for for new workers to to ask some questions and maybe sure. that's enough and maybe that's enough for them to to be familiar with you know the people that's providing the orientation or maybe the the other seven or ten or 35 people that are taking the orientation with us it gives us an opportunity to maybe develop a little bit of a relationship before we even get onto the site so I really think that that obviously helps for for me again that day uh, I think a lot more went into it than just the you know me being in an environment that I'm not used to like I mentioned before with it with how the, the day's events unfolded but really uh, like I said that 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 onboarding process having the opportunity to not only give the expectations of, of what we want through orientation but also you know creating that that uh, that relationship right away in terms of uh, people feeling comfortable speaking up and, and asking questions with one another. Yeah, and I think that that part about speaking up is a is a really challenging one um, because mm-hmm. even if if you're in a place where it's legislated that you have the right to to refuse work, to stop work, things of that nature, um, even if it's a legal context and a legal right. Um, which is in some jurisdictions, but others still don't have it as, as a legal right. Um, it, it takes a lot of guts to say, Hmm, let me pause this. Right. And, and often people are talking about, we need to get the job done. There's all this pressure on getting the work done. It's not that straightforward. It's the same. I, I remember I've been on, uh, uh, uh different circumstances. You tell somebody else to, to stop work. Or, or what they're doing is not safe. Maybe you should think about doing it differently. It's not that easy. I was talking to an executive in one organization who, on a weekend, they were doing some charity work, was trying to tell others to say, there's this gentleman on a, on a ladder working above uh, and, and not like off-center, drilling into a, a ceiling right above with stuff flying into his eyes, no PPE, no nothing. Uh, the, the ladder was about to tip over, try to make him stop three times. And he was unable to do it. And he says, I'm asking my team members to do this day in, day out, and I couldn't even t- get him to stop. Um, so that that re- that personal reflection or getting somebody else to to think about it, it these are not easy things to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it, it's a pretty vulnerable spot to be put in to, to, you know, to witness something that's being done unsafe or, or not following processes. And it is, it's, it's, it's likely the, the, the biggest thing that will hinder the success of our, of our safety systems and programs is the fact that getting people to buy into, you know, we hear terms like stop work authority. We hear yeah. terms like our brother's keepers and sister's keepers mm-hmm. and things like this. And, and, and they're great. They're great initiatives. They sound great, but at the end of the day, it's, it's really hard for people to do that. And especially when we're working in environments where people, um, you know, blue collar environments, industrial environments where, you know, it, it, it's a all go, no work, you know, all go, no, no play till the work's done type of industry. And it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's a hard thing to do. And, and uh, I, I think, again, it comes back to, you know, developing that, that culture piece and, and people are, are good at, you know, as, as human beings, we're, we're really good at identifying what's right and what's wrong and what's safe and unsafe. Um, everybody knows these things. And in fact, once I've been, you know, uh, developed even further background in, in safety as a, as a safety officer in a different uh, different job once before and a, and a consultant in another role. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've done incident investigations, or I hate the term incident investigations, I, I always call yeah. them a, an incident assessment, a cultural assessment, whatever the case may be. But investigation often, is a horrible name. <laughs> yeah, it is a, it's an awful you. term. Yeah. So when, when I when I did those things, very often you would ask, you know, as part of that, uh, or it would come up that that 
you know, that worker knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew they were taking a shortcut. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was staying, I knew what we were doing was wrong that day and I still didn't take the opportunity to speak up. So I think that's the easy part is identifying what's right and what's wrong. Uh, the hardest part is, is like you say, is, is to, you know, have, have, uh, you know, given the opportunity to, to actually say something or do something. And that goes to, you know, when, you know, my, my kids, I got young kids at home and they know what's right and what's wrong. And they know when they're doing something yep. that's wrong, they're, they've <laughs> got to make a cognitive choice, whether they're going to continue to do something after I told them not to, or, you know, know that, that it's wrong. And, you know, they got to assess what those consequences might be. If it's, you know, touching a hot stove or touching the fireplace. And those are things that, that we learn kind of along the way, but, but, uh, and it's, it's hard. It is, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And, and it really does come down to developing that, uh, that cultural piece. And I was in my presentations, I'll, I'll take it away from work for, for a second and, and say that, mm -hmm. you know, how many times have, has somebody been at a, at a restaurant or a pub or a staff function or a Christmas party where we've identified that a friend or a coworkers had a, a few too many drinks and, sure. Um, that's the easy part is to say, oh, well, geez, you know, Eric's had quite a few drinks and, you know, it looks it looks like he's not yet. Not his, yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like he's reaching for uh, it looks like he's reaching for his keys. And, you know, that's right. the easy part to say, hey, he shouldn't be driving. But the hardest part is to go up to, to Eric and say, hey, man, you know what? You've you've had a few too many. We, we want you to get home safe. Let's let's take your sure. keys. We'll call you a cab or, or just wait, you know, for a ride. We're going to be leaving soon or whatever. But that's the hardest 100%. part because. You know, people don't want to look like that person who's the fun stopper or the, you know, the overachiever or, or whatever the case is. And it's a really hard behavior for us to, you know, to crack for sure. Or, or the person that's preventing you from getting the job done because we're, 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 we want to get it done. Like you described, it, it, the long weekend's there. You want to go and enjoy the long weekend. So so we're, we're pre, predisposed to say, OK, how do I get this done, uh, which can get us into trouble. Yeah. Uh, how uh, so when i met you uh, originally you were talking to a group of leaders you also speak to a group uh, sometimes your frontline team members um how do you instill this sense to, to get the right reinforcement across peer groups uh because often like you said it, it's not the the vp who's out in the field who's going to influence you they may have a a comment a conversation that matters they can influence the the people in the, day in day out that are around you Tell me a little bit about how do you drive this at a peer level and and drive the right conversations that may need to happen. Yeah, so I, I think that that you know uh, that that reinforcement from from our peers is is something that you know uh, again it's a really hard one to drive because you know uh, oftentimes people don't want to be the stop work authority person who who's doing those things. But if we can again go back to that cultural piece and and it starts really there if we can create an environment where we all feel comfortable speaking up or asking questions or sharing concerns without you know being afraid of you know looking stupid or having a, a stupid question um I, I think we'll start to get there because you know at the end of the day we have all these touchy-feely terms you know or this is our yeah. work family and things and, and at the end of the day if it, that's really what we want it uh to be to be there if i'm if i'm approaching you and, and and saying hey you know i know it's the end of the day it's friday you know and we, we got to we, we want to get out of here but i know that sure. you're not tied off and, and and you know we require to wear harnesses and and and, and this at this type of job uh or, or task let, let me give you a hand i'll help you do it we can get it done quicker but we can get it done properly and i think the more we can create that environment where it, it, it's an actual um it, it's a process where where people feel 
like they're actually care to vote as as employees that it you know that, that it's going to make a difference and for me personally when i'm speaking is i use my experience and 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 not only my experience of the injuries and you know when i walked them through where i was going with my life before my injury and and the opportunities i had with that just like everybody else out there that you know is, is going to work today and tomorrow that has hopes and dreams and goals for sure um, those were taken away from me and, and i use that in my presentations to um, walk through the the next chapter of my life, the injuries, and the, you know what happened there, and, and and how long that recovery was, and and then I, I follow that up by by making it personal, and, and I guess what I'm saying is that if we can make safety personal amongst our teams, um, it's going to have so much more impact, and and that's a, a big part of my presentation is I use all the bad stuff that I went through, uh, and I use my you know the the way that I dealt with things, how it you know the, since the day that I remember waking up out of the coma to you know you know two months later waking up in that coma and, and to, to when I woke up this morning, I've never felt depressed or angry or sorry for myself. Um, and so I think that making it personal and, and using those experiences for me uh, to share with them how I've dealt with my situation, how I've, you know, there's nothing that I don't do today that I did before my injuries. And, you know, I, I try to inspire people to make changes in the way that they view safety. So, um, and when I'm speaking on those jobs, yeah, when I'm speaking on those job sites, whether it's a, a 17 year old kid that, that needs to be comfortable going to that 50 or, or 60 something year old yep. guy that's got a ton of experience and knowledge. I need to feel comfortable doing so. And, and, and that, you know, 50, 60 something year old needs to be open to, to having me come to him because at the end of the day, if I've got a question, even if it is mm -hmm. stupid, I, I might be putting him at risk and his children and his grandchildren at risk. So really at the end of the day, you know, we, we want to make it personal and, and on the flip side of that, we want young people to be able to go to, to the experienced workforce and, and learn from them with their experience. But, you know, we can look at it differently too. We've got, you know, young people coming out of, you know, educations that some of these people might not have even had back when they started their right. careers in terms of training and the way things are done. And so we've also got to be open now as a 50, 60 something year old. Um, to be receptive of maybe a 20 year old come out coming up and saying, Hey, you know, I, I know you've got all this experience and you've, you figured out a, a way to MacGyver up that piece of equipment to do the job <laughs> better or, or, or whatever the case is. We need to be receptive to that, you know, 20 something year old that's coming in with a different perspective to say, Hey, let's slow down. Let's get it done right instead of fast and, and let's all go home. And I think the more we see that from one another, I, I think that uh, the more opportunity there is for people to, to continue doing it. Yeah, that that's so important. Is is the the leader is the environment, but your peers, right? If if the peers, there's a lot of organizations I've 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 seen where that that six, 50, 60 year old is saying, "Hey, I've done it this way. Don't bother me," um, or, or even kind of intimidates a person that comes with a question. Well, you're going to get a a horrible outcome if you keep doing this, and and it's everybody's job to to drive safety, to talk about safety. When we talked about onboarding, the experience you've got, I remember first role I had that the, what I got trained for six weeks and then I showed up uh, this was in the airline industry and it was not it was not exactly the same thing when I showed up and on the line the first day because uh, right. people start doing things yeah yeah you could cut this corner and that's that's that gets dangerous because that starts influencing people to do things uh, and, and cut corners in some instances so really appreciate yeah. you sharing your story and and all the the good work that you're doing uh, across organizations in terms of inspiring leaders, in terms of how they make safety personal, um, inspiring team members in terms of how they show up because every, every bit makes a difference and, and helps make somebody's life better. So I think it's phenomenal what you're doing. Really appreciate 
all the work you're doing. You bet. You thank you uh, for having me and giving me the opportunity to uh, to be on the podcast and and uh, talk talk safety and, and culture with you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Curtis. And if ever you're interested in having Curtis uh, present or speak to your group, I'm assuming these days it's all virtual uh, or mostly virtual. Uh, but uh, Curtis Weber, thank you. You you bet. Thanks, Eric. and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.